First Kings chapter 18, verse 36 to 40. And Lord willing, we will uh, then s- wrap up our series of the history of the church at the time of Elijah next week. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their backs, the hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. May the Lord help us to understand this word and apply it to our life, and may his name be glorified. From First Kings chapter 18, verse 36. And what follows, I bring to you this message under the heading, the repentance from repentance to reformation. And as a subtitle here, idolatry exchanged for pure worship. From repentance to reformation, idolatry exchanged for pure worship. My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is true of the heart of man that it will wander from the worship of the true God to worship something else. Man follow the inklings of his sinful nature which is opposed to the living God. Instead, man replaces the worship of God with something else. It is, it is something that we need to understand. There's no person on the face of the earth that does not worship something. All of us worship. It depends on what we worship. Man still loves to worship even once he's turned away from God, but he creates something for himself in a position to God and in the place of God. 
In the time of Isaiah, God's people found themselves in the same position. And then in chapter 48, God speaks to His people. And He says, For I knew how stubborn you were. The sinews of your neck were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them so that you could not say, My idols did them. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. And then the Lord declared to his, his people his sovereignty as the only God. And the reason why he deals with his people, and he says in verse 9 and to 11 of chapter 48 of Isaiah, For my own name's sake I delay me wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so that you are not cut off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake and for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. We see God at work for His own glory according to His own purposes and He deals with His people so that He will not give His glory to another. This last line is of utmost importance in the face of our study of Elijah and the people on Carmel. I will not yield or give up my glory to another. This statement has vast implications for the church of Jesus Christ in every and for every Christian in every age. We hear the commandment of our Lord as we heard it this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is the most important of it all. In other words, there is no possibility of loving the Lord and loving other gods. That would amount to nothing else but idolatry. Now there's something that's come in in our society today. It's called syncretism. Syncretism is that idea where we can actually take a bit from this and a bit from that and a bit from that and throw it all together. Like I heard last Sunday on my way down to Wichiproof, uh, there, there was a service held uh, for the uh, first remembrance of the Black Saturday fires. And, and I heard that uh, people were gathered there in Melbourne in a church, and, and I thought, well, that's good that people do gather in the church. And what I further heard is that our Prime Minister actually read a verse from Revelation, and, and, and I heard his voice. He read Revelation, that part in, in chapter 21, where it says, talks about there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no more pain and, and no suffering and all these things. And I thought, isn't that good that our Prime Minister reads the Bible? Even if it's only there, but he reads the Bible. But then I heard also that this was a multi-faith. Organization or uh, arrangement. Now, you, you immediately ask yourself the question, 
can you believe the message of the Bible of the new heavens and the new earth if someone gets up and he says, well, I don't believe in that God, I've got another one. And someone says, well, I've got another one too. So, no, 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 I've got, I've got another one else here. So pick your choice. If you, want, if you want to do this, you want to believe that, do that. We just throw it all together. That's syncretism. And you know what that is? That is idolatry. The larger catechism aims us in connection with the second commandment. This, the sins forbidden in the second commandment, uh, it's a fairly long paragraph, just uh, listen carefully. Uh, devising, counseling, commanding, using in any way approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself, the making any representation of God of all or anything of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever, all worshipping of it, or God, or in it, the making of any representation of foreign deities, and all worship them, or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented, invented or taken up for ourselves, or received by tradition from others, though under the title of an antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances which God has appointed. This was the very reason why Elijah summoned the people to, uh, of God to Carmel. There they would have to make a choice. This choice was necessary because God does not give His glory to another. His holiness demands it. His justice demands it. His righteousness demands it. And His love demands it. You remember some few weeks ago, we had a sermon on God is jealous. The grace of God then is fulfilled in His justice. We saw last week that the only ground on which Elijah pleaded before God to hear his people was on the ground of God's sovereign revelation of Himself as the God of the covenant. Our Lord Himself would accept the offering on the altar and answer the prayer, and only He would turn the house of the people back again to Him. He is the Lord of the covenant of grace, once established with His people in Abraham and sealed by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, God answered the prayer of Elijah in a miraculous way. The Bible is very specific in the way it describes the answer to the prayer of His servant Elijah. I don't know if you've seen that there. I never saw it there until someone in one of the books that I read actually pointed it out in verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. That is the order. The sacrifice first. What was on top caught fire first. 
This is against the natural order of things. You, fire usually consumes things from the bottom upwards. Not this time. Moreover, not only the sacrifice was consumed, but also the wood and then the stones and then the water. It was a complete burnt sacrifice. The Lord then answered the prayer in accepting the sacrifice and redeeming His people. God demanded that His anger upon sin be reconciled by the sacrifice. A.W. Pink, one of the uh, theologians of many years ago, he writes this, That fire which descended from heaven in response to the earnest supplication of Elijah was a divine judgment. It was the execution of the sentence of God's outraged law. God has sworn that the soul that sins shall die, and he will not belie himself. Sin's wages must be paid either to the sinner himself or to the innocent substitute which takes his place and endures his penalty. Side by side with the moral law, there was a ceremonial law given unto Israel in which provision was made whereby mercy could be shown the transgressor and yet at the same time the claims of divine justice be justified, satisfied. An animal without spot or blemish was slain in the sinner's stead. This was what happened on Carmel. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. And so the idolatrous Israel will spare. Well, this is what happened on Calvary. When Jesus Christ took our sin upon Him to be like that sacrificial animal who took the sins of the people upon Him, blameless, sinless, and yet He took it upon Him in order to turn the wrath of God's holy righteousness away from us. God's answer to the prayer of Elijah meant grace to the people. Once again, God showed Himself faithful to His covenant of grace. And that in the face of of their rebellion and idolatry. But something else happened that day. This act of the grace of God was also an act of His limited atonement. As we, we would understand that, the limited atonement in Christ. When God called His people out of Egypt, He sent His servant Moses to perform miracles in the sight of the Egyptians. But these miracles did not save all people. Only those called by God were saved out of the bondage of Egypt. When God answered them the prayer on Carmel, in the face of the false prophets, although they saw what had happened, they were not saved seeing it. Therefore, we, we deal with something that I might come back to because it's a difficult subject. Will all people be saved? No. This is not what the Bible teaches. What is true is that Jesus did die for all sorts of people. There is no sinner too great or too small who cannot be saved. Jesus saves people from any culture or language, group, 
so that no one of them is excluded on the basis of culture or color or race. No sinner is excluded on the basis of what he or she has done or is doing. We cannot say that, for instance, murderers cannot be saved. We cannot say that homosexual people cannot be saved. They can. God's grace is is enormous, beyond what we think. But not all murderers. And not all idolaters. And not all sinners will be saved. You know of people who died without the grace of God. Very sad, but it's a true fact. And therefore, while we hear, while we hear this message, the message is to repent. God calls to Himself those He ordained to eternal life, but the message goes out. And I don't know His, his counsel, but I know His message. I know His call. I know the Bible calls us all. And therefore, you, you're called today. You have to respond to this call today. It is a very personal appeal to all who hear the gospel to respond to the grace offered to them. Without this response and faith in Christ Jesus, there is no eternal life possible. You can't say, well, if God wants me saved, He'll get me into heaven. No. He wants business with you, and that's why I called you here today. And so the gospel is calling us today to respond in faith and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Redeemer. That was the call of Elijah to the people. How long, he says, will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If it is Baal, follow Him. It is going to be a very hard case to answer before God one day if one heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and rejected it. It is going to be very hard to have heard about the good news of God in Jesus Christ and His Son's death on the cross and yet turn away in unbelief and rebellion. Therefore, the Bible calls us to repentance. This is the call of the gospel. It is the call to turn away from the idols in our life and to turn to the living God who declared that He does not give His glory to another. Repentance then is the act of turning away from an eternal condemnation without Christ to eternal forgiveness and joy in Christ. Like the people on Carmel who did not make a choice, who had to make a choice. So we are called to make a choice. What gives eternal security? Success or pride or money or sport or accomplishment and all these other things that we can so idolize these days. And you can easily throw in music. And those who sing it. 
and those who make a mess of their life in the process, and our sports figures, my heart cries about how our young people, and maybe not our young people only, but how, how they can so easily be swept away and then and think these people are the best. We even have an, a program that we called Australian Idol. Makes you think. The Bible says, turn away from these hollow and meaningless things and follow Christ. That's the answer. That brings joy and fulfillment, nothing else. But unfortunately, that's not enough. The turning way is one step. Repentance is one step. It is of no use to clean the house, our Lord said, and then fill it with nothing. The evil will return with other words than himself and reoccupy that house. Repentance is the first step. It is just like that son who walked away from his family and his father. They sitting at the pig troughs. He came to himself and realized that even the servants in his father's house were better off than he. Well, that was the starting point. He then got up. That was the next action. And then there was a next. He had to walk home. Without all these, there would not have been hope for this young man. And then the next important thing is he had to confess. Against God and you I have sinned, he said to his father. And only then he was restored a son. Behind him was a world of sin separating him from the love of the father. And ahead of him was life restored in the love of the father. He then calls for reformation. When God answered the prayer of Elijah through the fire upon the altar, there was another challenge to the people of Israel which would lead to their restoration. That is called reformation. Although God answered the prayer and although the people in one voice shouted out, the Lord is God, the false prophets were still in their midst. They needed to get rid of them in order to restore the glory of God in the land. They needed reformation, the act of getting rid of what enticed them into that dreadful separation of God. And then Elijah called the people, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let anyone get away. Was Elijah a bit too drastic that day, having 450 prophets of Baal slaughtered at the Kishon Valley? Can you imagine the blood that flowed that day? What bloodthirsty man Elijah was. Or shall we say, what a holy God our Lord is. He gives his glory to no other. Now the interesting question. Look at the text there. Who seized the prophets? 
the dear Elijah. Uh, keep in mind, he said, I'm the only prophet left. It is clear from the text that Elijah called upon the people to do it. It was their duty in the name of God for the glory of God. My dear friend, there is only one hope for us. Once we have accepted the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to seize the idols and cast them out. If we are not willing to do that, salvation will not be ours. The devil will be sitting at the doorstep and he will be looking at the first opportunity to once again come in. We don't kill false prophets in this era after the Lord's cross and the resurrection as they did in the Old Testament. But the principle remains, God does not give His glory to another. Now, our weapons against the enemy of our soul and the blood of Jesus Christ is prayer. That's why it's put in James many times over in that paragraph that we read there. You got any problem in your life? You've got trouble? What do you need to do? Pray. You got a problem with sin in your life? Call the elders. Pray. Confess your sin. Pray. And then he, he refers back to Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed. And God answered his prayer. And therefore it says there, he then, within the context, he prayed for the people and he turned their hearts back to God in repentance. And so, Elijah covered a multitude of sin by praying. That is our weapon. God's word is like a hammer. It shatters the rock. His Spirit is our might and our shield. And the name of Christ Jesus is our defense. But boy, oh boy, we need to get rid of those things. We need to say that there is reformation. Not only in our spiritual lives, but also in the life of the church. In the life of this nation. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May God give us the grace to repent. May God give us the grace to take reformation through. Let us apply the need for reformation, seize the idols and cast them out. They have no part in our life. God does not give his glory to another. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we find ourselves on Carmel today. Maybe the people who went there went for the spectacle of 
an old prophet who dared to challenge the prophets of Baal. What they got was an answer out of heaven. And the challenge to follow Jesus. Now pray, Lord, today is that we will hear this challenge very, very clearly. And that we will put on the altar our life and help us to come to you in repentance, but also, Father, help us in complete reformation. Amen.